I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadandi and Bibbulmun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Nungabuja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. I am your host, Cam Fraser. This is a new season. This is season number six, I believe, (laughs) and uh, it's episode number 91 overall. We're talking all things uh, masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure here on the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. And today I have the pleasure of chatting with James Mattingly. James is a coach and facilitator with over a decade of leading groups and guiding transformational experiences. He is based in Ubud in Bali and works in three areas, helping couples reignite the passion they had in the beginning, but better, guiding small groups of seekers to connect to their genius and superpowers, and leading men's groups focused on stepping into courage and loving on each other through embodiment and boxing. The two of us talk about passion, love, sacredness, soulmates, sex, emotion, and fighting. There's a lot of gold in this episode. And if you're wanting to explore James's work further, I recommend checking him out on Instagram at James Mattingly. That's M-A-T-T-I-N-G-L-E-Y. Or on his website, jamesmattingly.com or on Facebook at Mattingly James. Uh, again, this is a super cool conversation. It was a lovely conversation. It was it was such a pleasure actually to connect with James. I'd heard about him, so it was nice to sit down and have a conversation with him. Um, he speaks very poetically, which is something that I don't really do. So it was nice to have that juxtaposition and to hear his wisdom on things like you know, spontaneous sex versus planned sex on cultivating your intuition and your trust on exploring your passions and your core values, uh, how masculinity can sometimes numb our emotional expression, how using physical exhaustion and exertion can help to kind of remove the armor, peel back the layers to allow emotion to be expressed. Super great conversation. So enjoy listening. When a boy is between the ages of 13 and 16, the testes begin to produce sperm cells. The old contraceptive, uh, the condom, it's uh, wrapped in rather a sort of crinkly paper. John, let's be straightforward about this. I'm not here to make a moral judgment, but you and I know that it was contracted through sexual intercourse with an infected person. And uh, we'll dive in, dude. And the first uh, question, not a question, actually, more of an invitation. And the invitation is, I um, would love to invite you to share a little bit about yourself, man, about what you're doing. And uh, also, like, why are you so passionate about this work? I presume you're passionate about it. Otherwise, you um, maybe wouldn't be doing it. But I'd love to learn a little bit more about yourself and about your passions, dude. So that's my open invitation for you to share for a few minutes. Great, man. Thanks, Cam. Thanks for having me here, hey? Appreciate it. I, I love the chance to, to speak about this kind of thing with like-minded individuals. You know? um, and, you know, for those of you listening, I, I work in three different areas. One is with my wife, we coach couples. And the specific area that we coach in is working with couples that are committed, that have been together for a while, but have lost some of that spark, lots of that fire, and want to know how to get their passion and the intimacy back, you know. That's the first area. And the second area is I work with men to help uncover their genius, their superpowers, what it is that they're here to do in the world beyond the paycheck and beyond the everyday. And the, and the third one is uh, more a, a passion project with my brother here, Jan and Bali. We teach men to love on each other with their fists. So we have something called Ubud Fight Club, UFC. Get it? Ubud yep, Fight Club. Nice, nice. <laughs> thank, thank you. Very funny. I'm, I'm practicing for my dad jokes. Got the baby coming along soon. And the Ubud Fight Club, we help men step into courageousness and face fear and figure out how to fight for your fellow brother rather than against them. Um, and, you know, what makes me passionate about all these things, a genuine curiosity, each one of them for me has been the case of 
there's this thing that I didn't know. And then I found out about, I'm like, why the fuck is this not taught to everybody? Like, why is it not taught how to keep long-term passionate love alive in relationship? You know, why is it not taught that we're given a genius and a superpower? And actually there's nothing we have to figure out. We only have to remember it. And all of this, of course, comes about from me looking at my own life and being, well, what is this thing? Where is this thing? And, and going the hard road to find it out. And I get very passionate from that point because then I just want to yell it from the rooftops, you know, I want to be like, put it out there. So I think that's what drives me really. It's like these amazing pieces of information, this ideas, this embodied wisdom that I've had the good fortune to come across for study. I just feel like everyone needs to know. Yeah. Beautiful, man. I am. Um... I want to ask you, I guess, like point blank, do you, does every person, I mean, you, you said you work specifically with men. So does every man have a genius? Does every man have something that they, uh, that is unique to them that they can explore and, and should pursue? Um, that's my first question, I suppose. So that's the one I wanted to ask you. 100%. The universe does not do do-overs. It does not make mistakes. There is only one of every one of us. And, um, and I feel that through something that you brought into the world with you and, of course, your life experiences, that you're in a unique position to do something that no one else has ever done. That doesn't have to be big. You don't have to be Michael Jordan or Bill Gates or Elon Musk. In fact, a lot of people try to go down that route and feel unsatisfied and unfulfilled, right? It could be something much more humble. But I think every single person, man, woman, and child have a gift that they have to give the world. And here's my follow-up question to that then is, sure. is it practical for every single person to be giving their gift to the world? And I suppose like my assumption here straight away, if I reflect on that own question is I'm presuming it's a like, it's a, a job that they're doing. It's a monetarily uh, it's a monetary thing they're doing, which I have just caught myself in my own um, <laughs> reflection as I say that. Um, so, yeah, but but that my, I guess my question still stands. Is it practical for every single man in the world to be doing what he's you know, uh, passionate about and what, he, um, what his gift is? Oh, God, not just practical but necessary. And then you totally hit it, the nail on the head, Cam. It doesn't have to be the vocation. There'll be some flair. It doesn't even have to be prescriptive. Like some men are very good at working with men on mission and purpose and getting like a mission statement, really valuable. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the thing that's bigger than that and more amorphous. Like the thing that you do, that when you do it, you feel like you're in the right place doing the right thing. And that could be put out in art projects. It could be in a conversation. It could be at home or whatever it is. And beyond that, it is really gratifying to make that your vocation but I don't think it's a necessity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that that is a distinction that you make as well, man, because I do see people in the coaching and business entrepreneurial kind of coaching space kind of say that everyone should be an entrepreneur and everyone should be like, maybe they don't say it explicitly, but the kind of implication is like you can become and everyone can has the opportunity. I'm like, but if everyone was, who would then go and Who'd, who'd be the janitors and who'd be the, you know, people doing like the the really like necessary jobs that kind of keep society running um, if everyone's their own business, right? If everyone's their own entrepreneur. And um, and so I'm glad there is a distinction there that you can pursue your, your unique gift, but it doesn't have to be in a vocational sense. Um, and it doesn't have to be at that grand sense either, right? It could be like like as a, as a parent, right? It could be something that you do just in the microcosm of your little family unit. Um, so I, I resonate with that as well, dude. So thank you for helping me at least reflect on that as well, as I was saying it. Do you, do you have a sense of what your own genius and superpowers are, Ken? I think it's to educate, man. Like I, I, I um, yeah, I, I feel like there's like, not only is it a really strong personal value for me, education, um, but I think because of that as well, like um, I'm, I feel really passionate about educating others um and so um and i don't think i've always been good at it i think i've i don't even think i'm really that great at it at the moment but it's just something i've been wanting to kind of pursue more of um in different ways because it's something that i um really resonate with so um and i think like if it wasn't if i didn't really value it myself personally um then i would like 
it, like it wouldn't be something that I would try and pursue. I mean, I'm very lucky that it's also my vocation as well. So those two things have lined up and, and, it, and it's, um, I feel very privileged to have that occur for me because I know um, it doesn't necessarily occur for everyone else. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people doing jobs that they don't really like. And um, yeah, I feel for them. Cool, I get that. What about yourself, man? What's your unique genius? It's in, it's in facilitation. It's in holding groups. I've been holding groups and doing public speaking now for many, many, many years. Um, so the, when I feel most myself might be another way to say it, when I feel most alive, is in the front of a room when I'm guiding people through something. Similar flavor to what you're talking about, right? Little, little, it has education involved with it. But for me, it's the live, the live in-person thing that really, um, or it could be online too, but something about the live thing really scratches an itch for me. And I can trace it back. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about genius work. It's like you can trace it back to your young self to notice these moments that really speak, that really speak and resonate. Like, you know, I remember being 12 years old and auditioning for Wolf O'Malley in the school play Little Red Rocking Hood. And I remember before I go into the audition, like knowing, like just knowing that I would get the part, I would get the role. And then I remember speeches and I remember, oh my gosh, my first real job was speaking to five, six, 700 people every single week for months on end, like all of these things. And suddenly you find yourself, I think a lot of men like this at the moment. It's like, what am I meant to do? There's so many choices. I could be anything. I could do anything. And it feels very true. And in that truth, it becomes a lot of overwhelm about which direction to move in. But I'd suggest that actually the, there's only one path. There's not an infinite amount. But the way that we figure that out is by less doing and more dreaming or remembering or looking back on our life to see where we're meant to go next. Mm. And why do you think people and, and men need coaching or guidance to help remember, um, as, you, as you phrased it, um, that genius why don't we just inherently know it why why don't we just spontaneously go wake up one morning and go oh that's what my genius is why doesn't that happen for people why do we need guidance for it oh, that'd be great wouldn't it you just <laughs> it wake up in the morning yeah. and it's like oh shit it's i'm meant to be a dentist that's my purpose in life yeah yeah exactly totally. oh make everything a lot easier if it were um i think there's many reasons you can look to but mainly it's just a cultural one i'm not sure about you but i feel the grief in a culture that didn't embrace mentorship from elders, you know, I feel um, the pressure from well-meaning and loving parents who said I could be anything, which is very different to saying you're meant to be something. And I look on Instagram and Facebook and I see so many different incredible lives that make me envious or I could, should, or want to do. If we go back a little bit in time, and it's still in the case of many indigenous cultures, the assumption is you come here with something to do. And then the job of the village, and particularly your mentor, your elder, not your parents, has to be someone else, is to help recognize and draw that out and pull that out so you have something to give to the world. So I, th I think it's mainly a systemic cultural focus on independence and freedom rather than lineage and something a little deeper. That's interesting, man, because there's like this, I mean, especially I see this with men's coaches, particular type of men's coaches, I suppose, the ones that subscribe to like hyper individuality and like, you know, like you like exist as an individual and don't worry about the collective, like don't worry about systems, don't worry about society, like what can you do for you and that kind of mentality then, you know, lends itself to, to I suppose, like in maybe a non-expanded way, it, like it's almost like there's this, and, and you mentioned it just before, is like this freedom to kind of be whatever they want, I suppose, right? Um, and And we get like conditioned by society, social media in particular to be like, Okay, I've got to aspire to be like this, like essentially what I see happening is a lot of these like men's coaches, these kind of, let's say hyper-masculine men's coaches kind of are trying to coach 
men to be like them and to say, hey, here's the way you need to, be, here's the way you need to show up and here's the way you need to look like. Um, and and I'm just going to make more cookie cutter versions of myself, right, as, as a coach. Um, and and like that's that's kind of the answer, right? That's the answer to this question of like, what what do I what do I do with my life? What's my purpose? And and a lot of these guys kind of perpetuate this idea that like, I'm I'm the example of what your purpose should be, and you need to follow in my kind of footsteps, um, because there is this like sense of I don't know what to do because I've got all this freedom to be whatever I want, whoever I want. I've got all these different lives, and then there's like you know, the expectation that you should pursue a life in this particular direction because that's what's been lauded in society and that's what we see in social media and that's what success, quote-unquote, is for a lot of, you know, people, um, men in particular. So I think you're right in terms of like, and I like this idea, I haven't really thought about it, but like having someone go, you know, what are you actually supposed to be rather than like you could be, you could be anything, like here's the smorgasbord of life and I think there's like, some value in experimentation and just being like, okay, cool. I'm going to lean into that absolute freedom to just do whatever the fuck I want. And and I think part of that is for me, at least anyway, part of that journey is necessary to be part of that. Like, okay, cool. I've just floundered a little bit and not really found my feet, um, but I can come back to a mentor or something and an elder and they can, they can help me piece together all those experiences. And, and like, if I reflect on like my own life, that's kind of what happened for me, I didn't have the mentor as such because um, you're right, we don't really have them in our kind of Western societies. But I kind of was just, you know, the spaghetti approach, right? Just threw spaghetti against the wall and was like, what, what's going to stick? And did that with my life essentially and just did a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Um, no rhyme or reason to it. And then through a period of integration was like, what did I learn? And, you know, is there a common thread among all these experiences that I really want to bring back into my life and pursue um and so i think there is that value in the freedom and and almost like choice fatigue um and then honing it in from there is that like do you agree with that or do you reckon you know that's people are getting too swamped in that idea of like they can just be whatever they want i think it's great as long as you hone it back down you know it's uh I think a lot of a lot of men, women, as well, are just overwhelmed with the choice of what they could do and feel like they are jack of all trades and master of none, but an existential level. You know, the the example that I usually use may maybe will add value to people listening as well. Is it's like let's say you're really fucking thirsty, so you go into a supermarket, but it's one of these big, gleaming, bright American supermarkets, and it has shelves. In my mind, they're like the shelves from the matrix when the guns come in with Neo, right? And they're just filled in one big shelf with like 350 different types of bottles of water. And then you stand in front of these bottles of water and in your mind space, you look at it and you go, well, well, I could get that one. That's, that's, you know, that's a liter and it's cheaper than the one that's smaller and more. Or I could go for that one because that color is a bit better. Or I could go for this one because it's a two for one deal or maybe, and, and, and it goes on and on and on and on. And, and, and from the mind space, you can be there for an hour, a day, a month, a year, or a lifetime, stuck in between the decision of which water to pick up and drink. It's a very different scenario if, if beforehand there was someone that you loved and you trusted, even if that person is yourself, that said to you, hey, there's going to be a lot of water when you walk into that supermarket. But you just have to take it on trust that actually one of those bottles, only one of them is meant to be the one that you pick up. So you walk and you stand in front of the same shelf and when you can drop away from mind, things open up a little bit more into body. So maybe all of a sudden you can see all of the bottles rather than just one, you know? And then you let your curiosity and instinct guide you to that one bottle that happens to be all the way down the bottom on the left and you pick it up and it's got an image of Bali on it. And you're like, oh, this reminds me of the time I went to Bali. Man, I love that place. I feel really good holding this, you know? In fact, there was no other water bottle that I was meant to pick up. It had to be this one. And that you take a drink, right? And somehow that hydrates your soul in a different way than the first one. And when you stand there in that first option from mind realm, 
you can stand there and die of thirst. <laughs> you can literally be there your whole life. So I think that that's the thing to step out of the mind realm of what you're meant to be doing into a larger idea of, of believing that there's a calling on your life and there's something that you're meant to do. Mm. So there's a sense of intuition, right? That's, that, I mean, that's based on, on what you just shared. That's what I kind of got from that is that like there's a cultivation of intuition to um, as part of that process, right, of, of finding that one water bottle or finding that one gift, um, I suppose, is what the analogy is kind of pointing to. So um, is that fair to say? Sure. It's a big part of it. Intuition and trust, you know. Mm. It, it's like bringing up this um, – so I um I went to university in America and um uh actually in, I went to two universities over there. Both of them were quite religious, um, and I am not religious. And the um one of the things that I pushed back against, and I find it coming up now as you share because it's reminding me of it, is like the um kind of like fatalistic mentality that a lot of religion has like this is your like you've got to have faith i think even you you know um just mentioned that like you've got to trust you got to fa- you have faith this is like this is what you were meant to do and and like kind of like god's plan for you essentially and like you've got to you've got to tune into that and, and like you know you've got to abide by god's plan and if you stray from it like things will go wrong that's kind of what it's bringing up for me as you as you kind of share this and um and so i wanted to um yeah, I just wanted to, to drop that in there because it, it, it's reminding me of that. And I was wondering if that is something that you're like familiar with or if, if it's something that you are, you know, um, if you subscribe to, I suppose, is like there's this, you know, path that you're supposed to follow and um, and how that maybe relates to, to what it is that we're talking about. Oh, man, I love that you say that. That's beautiful. Um, I think the trust is in the trust in whatever you feel it is. So it could be totally in your own self. It could be a trust in higher self. It could be a trust in the universe. It could be a trust in the God. Like, I think that part's almost irrelevant on an individual level. So another way to say that is like what I said before is there'll there'll be a moment when you look back on your life, many moments, that you know that you're in the right place at the right time. You know what I mean? Have you had this before? Yeah, totally. What's a moment that feels that way for you? When you look back, maybe when you're a kid. Um, I mean, oh, when I was a kid, okay. The first thing that came to mind when you said that was when I met my now partner, um, cause it was just like, I mean, the way we talk about it was like very quote unquote coincidental, but, um, like it totally wasn't like it was, it was almost like if I, I just said, I don't subscribe to like the, it was meant to be, you know, kind of mentality, <laughs> but like, it kind of feels like it was meant to be. Right. Um, so it, I, yeah, I still hold this kind of dichotomy in my head. Um, but yes, yeah, so, but, but that felt like I was in the right place at the right time to meet her in particular. And that was about five years ago um, based on circumstances. But um, yeah, if I was a, if I, if I was thinking back to, to childhood, yeah, I've got experiences of like playing sport, actually, like being in the right place at the right time feels like I feel like I have, there's a lot of apt examples of like in the midst of a soccer game, for example, I used to play, I, I still play soccer, but like I was in the right place at the right time for a particular you know, sporting opportunity or some sort of, you know, um, yeah. So, th- so that, yeah, I, yeah, I, I have had that experience. Well, the, the wife's a great example. You know, love is a great example because there's no way that you can ever say to your life in, in the rational realm, I'm going to be with you forever. There's no way that you can say, I'm going to stay with you no matter what, like on a purely logical and rational, this is where a lot of guys get caught up in the realm of love. So in the realm of rational and logic, you can't say that. In the realm of rational and logic, even what you said about it being fated or coincidental or something more than just was, it doesn't make sense. But yet you still knew, <laughs> right? So whatever that thing is that you could trust in the moment, whatever you ascribe to that, it could be your animal instinct, right? Your, your sense of energy could be universal or could be God, could be whatever, it doesn't matter. But you yourself knows what it's like to trust something actually despite the evidence because that's a really weird thing to meet someone and be like, wow, I know there is something about this woman, right? 
So in the same way with the water bottle, you can never say, I'm going to be with you forever, but you can say, man, we were fated to meet together. I want to be with you until the sun burns from the sky. I'm going to be with you to all of my cells are returned down to earth. They're equally true. They just come from a different space. So when it comes to the genius and trusting, no, it doesn't have to be God and it doesn't have to be predetermined. And I don't think it's prescriptive. I think it's the, the flavor of the thing that when you feel most right in the world and most connected to yourself and those around you, when you look back at your life, there'll be a golden thread that runs through them, just like what you described before. And then you take from those connecting moments into what it is you're going to do next. Mm, yeah, it reminds me of something that I do with my clients, man, which is like I get them to elicit a um, at the very beginning before we even set goals is um, like elicit a core value, like something that they and I, the way that I do that is by taking them through a kind of um, deeper and deeper questioning of a particular activity that they enjoy. It's like, you know, we start off very surface level. What do you, what's the what's the most you know enjoyable activity that you can do? And they say, whatever it is, sport, dancing, having sex, whatever. And we go from there and we, we take it kind of down a layer. It's like, you know, essentially asking why. Why is that your favorite activity? You know, because it does this. Okay, why does it do that? Because I feel this way. Why do you feel that way? Because this is where it comes from. And and so um, and so the, the, the key to that or the, like the, the gold in that particular example that I share with them is like, it's not the activity that you enjoy it's the way that it makes you feel and you could do any activity in the world if it made you feel that way you i mean you'd be aligned with that you you fucking beam like the sun right um and and like that you know that um what you just shared them that kind of golden thread that runs through all things that's kind of what i um subscribe to in terms of like you know i could do all these different things but as long as i was like a, one of my core values, I suppose, is like educating. As long as I feel like I'm educating by doing this particular activity or by doing this particular facilitation or this particular workshop or this particular whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to like feel like I'm in my genius. I'm going to feel like I'm like another thing that I kind of pop up here is like on purpose. I'm going to feel like I'm you know fulfilling that that purpose. And so like, is there a, like my question here is like, is there a difference between purpose and genius or do you, is there overlap or are they two separate things? I think it's semantics, really. The way that I use them, um, genius is non-prescriptive. So, you know, education could be one one way to say genius. Like, I tend to more more poetics because I find it's in the realm of poetics. Um, whereas, you know, it could be whatever. My genius is to give others wisdom that they helps them feel them themselves even more, whatever. Um, my genius is to be able to listen deeply to people's problems. My genius is to be able to stand in front of the room and have people feel the God spark within, like something like that. So it's not prescriptive. It doesn't actually tell you what to do with your life, but it tells you when you feel most lit up <laughs> and when you feel most connected. It tells you the thing that when you die, if you, if you do things that make you feel like that, my suspicion is you'll feel very fulfilled. Instead, if you do things because you think they're right, money-wise, women-wise, lifestyle-wise, but they don't feel like that, even if you have the jet, the car, the whatever, the woman, at the end of your life, you're going to feel unfulfilled. That's my suspicion. Ask me again when I'm on my deathbed. Um, but that's the way that I feel about it. So purpose to me is a little bit more prescriptive. It's a closer to mission. So it's like my genius is this, and then I do that by my purpose is to eradicate plastic com consumption within Bali. You know, it could be more literal than that or less literal than that. But genius, big, amorphous, more like what you're talking about with the values, purpose, and then mission. It chunks it down a little. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure oriented. We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader and all of this amazing stuff. 
So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. Is there one, do we only have one genius? Sure, to tell you the truth. My, my, um, My feeling is probably yes. My feeling is there's one thing that you actually do better than anyone else, that you're meant to do more than anyone else, just by nature of your life and your experiences. That's my sense of it. I think people can have a genius and be talented in many different areas, but probably that genius would touch everything that they do. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, man. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Just just, uh, what I think it really is, is for me, uh, my background a lot is a lot lot of work with David Data, Eli Barin, uh, Chris Sonata, men of a very distinct masculine lineage of teachings. And I, I love it. I took a lot from it. And yet it's still very dry. It feels a little dry in the soul. So one thing that I really enjoy doing is bringing space through things like story, things like poetry, things where the answer one plus one doesn't necessarily equal two. And I I have the feeling that there are men out there living their lives, feeling dry in their souls. And they try to give thirst to that dryness by adding more things to do, by looking for the answer of one plus one. But actually often it comes around the side and underneath and and above and from something that's a little bit less literal. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And and like part of that for me, I feel like is um, like connection, right? It's intimacy and it's, yeah, I mean, connection and intimacy are the two words that kind of come to mind. But it, I guess like relationship is, is um what I'm getting at here and it doesn't have to mean romantic relationships, just relationship with, with people and relationship with self and relationship with the world around you and finding like um, the word that comes to mind for me is like sacredness. And that's something that I sacredness, I feel like is different for each individual person. Um, My definition of sacredness is probably different from yours and, and probably different from um, the people that are listening. Uh, But I'm, I'm curious around like, like romantic relationship, for example, you know, you, you shared the analogy of the water bottle, the one that felt, you know, intuitively like it was a match and it was the one that was meant to be. Um, and, um, and I'm wondering, does that translate across to partners? Like, is there only, is there one person in our life that we're, again leaning on like the are we fated to meet that one person um and is there like i guess like what i'm asking you is like do you believe in in a soul mate you know tim minchin i do yeah have you ever seen his um his if i didn't have you song uh no i'm not familiar with it i'll have to send it through to you after that uh, the, the course is if i didn't have you someone else would probably do. <laughs> and he just does it in his brilliant way the whole way through. You know? Yeah. Um, and again, it's almost like I have to split the answer. So in the realm of love, so when you use the language of are they the one, when you use the language of soulmates, then I can say 100% my wife is the only person that I was ever meant to be with for my whole life that it couldn't have been any other way. In the realm of logic, that's not true. (laughs) You know, whatever, 8 billion people on the planet, a lot of them are women, at least half. I'm sure if I'd been born in Tokyo that I might not have met Megan. So, yeah, I can find a million reasons to poke holes in that idea. But the the realm of love is not the realm of logic so i don't i don't think they can actually convert and i think people fuck themselves up all of the time trying to cross this especially when they're looking at partners and are they the one are they meant to be the one no you find someone that feels right you find someone that you can build a beautiful story with and create a narrative with and then you have to put a shit ton of work <laughs> to 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 actually have them be that thing or to be that thing with them does this pop up in your couple's work with your partner? 
Yeah, more so with Meg. She does women's coaching one-on-one, and there's a lot of women that feel very bored and trapped in with, within the relationship, often because of the stability of the man and the wildness of the woman. And they're often questioning whether that, they're with the right person. For men, the problem tends to be one foot in, one foot out. For that exact reason I said before, well, I can never say I love you. I can never say I'll be with you forever, right? Like, I think that's the men's equivalent problem where women's getting bored. When couples come to us, it's uh, we don't do therapeutic. We do sex and intimacy. So what we really work with them is just how to how to bring back the passion, bring back the spark. Yeah. What are some strategies for bringing back passion and spark? I'm curious to know. Well, um, I'd say there's a couple of things that, hmm, how do I say there's so many, but there's a couple of things. Look, well, let me start with this. Rather than just sex and intimacy, one thing that I've noticed within couples that is absolutely a barometer of how well they are together, that is in 100% of the couples that I look at and go, wow, you guys have got an amazing relationship, and it's lacking 100% in couples that I look at and go, wow, you guys got some serious issues, whether or not I'm working with them, is um, how well they appreciate one another how well they catch the moments that their partner does something beautiful and speak to it and how they feel about it or how well they catch something their partner does that they do all of the time, dishes, driving the car, whatever it might be, and let them know how it feels. So this, the, 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 this positive cycle we call a virtuous cycle, and when you do it with your partner, your partner will naturally want to do it with you. That means you're constantly feeling good around this person you spend time with. The opposite is when they're constantly pointing out the lack and when they're going towards the king killer criticism. So when they, they, they get in the same virtuous, like you didn't do that, you always do that, and it creates um, a vicious cycle rather than a virtuous one. So in terms of relationships and relational health, that's the one thing that I see a lot. In terms of the sex and intimacy, uh, probably the biggest, yeah, I'll say the, the biggest prevention that I come across couples have with keeping lust alive and long-term love is the myth of spontaneity. It's, it's, they, oh, they will wait. I think Esther Perel says this, that they'll wait so long for spontaneity that their sex will die, you know, that it should just feel right. And it feel good. I mean, you're, I believe you're a young father, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's very right. fresh. Right. So you got a you got a young kid, you got a successful business, you got a mother. So for, for you to feel aligned, for your wife to feel aligned, for your baby to be okay, you know, all of these things coming together at the right moment, at the right place, alongside the position of the moon and the way that your chakras feel in the moment, to spontaneously want to have something intimacy doesn't have to be sex, is a pipe dream. I don't think it's a a lasting way to stay within relationship. So we work with couples mainly to bring in a, a structured, a more of a structured way to have intimacy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I'm all for planning date nights and sex and oh, you know, yeah. just like putting it in the fucking timetable, man. Like, yeah, I'm a 100%. And like, doesn't mean that you aren't spontaneous when spontaneity arises, right? Like, I think that's also a story that I've seen pop up for some people was like, oh, if we plan sex, it means we'll never be spontaneous. Like, no, man, you can, like, they're not mutually exclusive. They they can exist at the same time. Um, and I think that's um, important to, to remind people of as well. But yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, dude. Like, I mean, just from my own lived experience, like literally right now in the last like four months has been, um, yeah, there's no opportunity for, for spontaneity. Um, the stars never aligned haven't aligned in the last four <laughs> yeah. months so um so we have we've had to you know actively say okay cool this is not we can't just like on a whim um because we've got a baby and um he's just had a hard time for the last four months and it's just taken up a lot of our time and energy so it's like let's invest time and energy or or you know set aside time and energy to actually explore some intimacy and to explore some time to be sexual with one another because it's just not going to happen throughout the day because we just don't have the opportunity to do it. Um, the spontaneity has like, there's just not an opportunity for it. So um, I 100% agree with you, especially for me personally at this time of my life um, with my partner is scheduling in sex and intimacy and time to connect with one another has been very vital. Yeah, man, I can imagine and every, everything I've been told about being a young family, I've heard exactly the same thing and I'll experience it within a few weeks myself. <laughs> my life <laughs> yeah. is about four weeks away. Oh, amazing, man. Yeah.
Yeah. And it's a, but that's, that's a story I see a lot of men, um, like almost like hold on to, right? Like how sex and relationships and life was before family and expectations around it returning to that as well, not kind of allowing for the room of, but just not allowing for change, not allowing for adaptation, not allowing for, you know, this thing that we call life to kind of shift and move and, and have to navigate. There's a, 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 specifically for men, I've seen this, like women from what I've observed and the women I've spoken to, that there's like this knowing that things will shift and change because their body is literally going through that changing process, like on a physical level. And then that kind of transcends into, you know, um, energetics and spirituality and, and psychology as well. But a lot of guys, cause they don't have that as much of a physical change. There is, there is some sort of hormonal change and some physical change, but it's at a very lesser extent um, during pregnancy and birth. They, they kind of feel like, Oh, you know, why does, why can't we have sex the way that we used to, or why, you know, can't we be intimate the way that we were before? Or like what's almost like there, there's a loss of something there as opposed to it being, it's because it's different, but the the kind of feeling that I get from a lot of guys that I speak to is that it's lesser than, that it's worse now that the, um, and that's a common story for like in society is like, you know, the, the, the quip is, you know, say goodbye to your sex life when you get married, right? Like that's the kind of mentality that is perpetuated in, I mean, media and shit as well. But, um, but yeah, so I think there, there's like a conversation to be had there around like, can you allow for change and adaptation and and um flexibility and um creativity and for again for planning as well like part of that has to be brought into there so um that's something i wanted to drop in here um because i've I've noticed it with a lot of guys is this feeling like they've lost something um as opposed to just being uh i guess like leaning into the opportunity to try something new it's a great point, man. And it's not too different, much different to like puppy love and, and, and wanting it to be like it was when you first met, right. Uh, or getting married. There's a similar story, like the old ball and chain, like there's a lot of not so helpful stereotypes. I honestly think, um, and at least for the parenthood, I can't speak from experience yet, but my, my intuition with all of this is, is actually to feel the loss of what is dead. So something is there to be grieved and it's a hundred percent okay to grieve what was. And I personally think it's part of the process of allowing what is, you know, Meg and I have spoken to it a lot, you know, the change that she's going through, the changes that will last beyond now changes that are going. We had a, we had a brotherhood blessing, a fatherhood blessing that a few guys here put together for me. It's one of the things it's a, it's a really big shift. It's a really big change. And, and to be like, you know what? It will genuinely never be like it was. And to be like, ah, oh, feel that. That's That has some weight to it and it's okay to feel it, not to live in it. And I get the sense that once you can feel it, be in your body with it, put some container, some ritual around it, then you can look at it from a clean eye set and be like, okay, well, that part is actually dead. That's gone. It's done. I loved it. <laughs> it was great. Now, what more amazingness can we, what we can, what can we create that even feels more something? Mm, yeah. I totally resonate with that dude. And like, there is this huge piece missing for, um, for, I mean, for people in general, but I, I mean, we specifically, you know, I want to specifically talk about men here is like, that, that piece to grieve of like what has uh, what they're letting go of right um and what and also what they're stepping into as well um i i'm so glad that you had like a, a fatherhood initiation kind of ceremony um i had one planned um but it was at the peak of COVID when it was planned and so it's just fallen away a little bit and i'm still kind of trying to organize it but um and we we're going to do um san pedro ceremony and like it was going to be we're still going to do it it's just um being pushed back a little bit further than i'd like um but yeah i think that piece is missing for particularly for men right like there's um 
there's something there. It's like, and I mean, rites of passage and initiations are missing in general in kind of Western society. Um, but particularly if we're talking about like relationships and family and things like this, like, yeah, you're right, man, that, that, that letting go and process and that grieving process, um, coupled with the celebration and the initiation as well. Like there's, there's, um, that kind of double, double-edged sword, I suppose. Um, yeah, which really, I think needs to be, I mean, more people need to be, do to, to be speaking about it firstly, but I think more people need to be like considering, um, doing something like that. Um, I think that's a really powerful thing to do. Totally. And just to feel brief and loss. <laughs> I think that's why the structure of getting together with some of the brothers that you trust um, creating a space for it is so important. I don't know about your messaging, but at least in New Zealand, when I was a kid growing up, it was like, oh, if you show any type of emotion at all, it was like, oh, bro, go eat a teaspoon of concrete so you can harden the fuck up. <laughs> you know, like what a what a weighty thing to put on a kid, you know. And I, I, I think it, you can't selectively numb your emotion. So it's like if you're numbing out anything that's bad or sad or grief or anger or whatever it is, it's really hard to, to feel deep love and excitement and the flip side of the coin. So to, to create these things and these, to create these rites of passage and these moments and a culture that doesn't embrace them yet, um, that doesn't have them as a radical act of, of seeing what it is to be a man. It like spotlights what I mean, not, not to that guy over there or that guy over there, but literally for you, like it's a radical act of what it is for you to be a man, to create a container that allows for vulnerability, that allows for truth sharing, that isn't over a beer in a pub. Mm, yeah. Yeah. There's like a, um, the, the uh, saying that I remember from my childhood um, was don't get sand in your vagina. Um <laughs> which is so horrible on so many levels. So many uh, levels. But, um, <laughs> oh, but yeah, but the, the message was the same, was don't express your feelings because expressing your feelings is what women do and you don't want to be a woman essentially, right? That's the kind of, if we're thinking logic, right? That's the logical progression of that statement. Um, and that's and being a woman is bad essentially, right? Is the end, um, end goal of that. So, um so yeah, I, I and I agree with you with regards to like, you know, emotion. Like, we you're right. We can't selectively numb our emotions, but but similarly on on the reverse of that, we can't selectively amplify emotions either, right? Like guys come to me and they want to experience more pleasure, right? They, that that's I'm, I'm very pleasure positive in the education that I offer, and and so I get messages like, how do I experience more pleasure? And it's like. Well, firstly, you've got to understand that in order to experience more pleasure, which is essentially an emotion, right? It's, it's a sensation. You have to open yourself up to experiencing all emotions, right? You can't just selectively sliver out pleasure and say, that's the thing that I want to experience more of. I don't want to experience any more of this other shit. Um, but you do. You like you, you, you have to open yourself up holistically. And um, and so that's, that's something that I, I tell to men that are doing this work is like once you start exploring more pleasure in your body by doing these practices of like opening up not only physically but also energetically and emotionally is other stuff is going to pop up and you're because you're experiencing pleasure like you're sorry you're experiencing pleasure more you're also going to experience pain more you're going to experience grief more you're going to experience but i mean also joy and and bliss and ecstasy and all these other beautiful um you know emotions as as all emotions are kind of beautiful but you're also going to experience more anger you're going to experience more you know all this other stuff and so that's like the first thing that I, I kind of lay down for guys is like, look, this is going to happen. And, um, and so within that is like emotional regulation tools. Like what can you do to manage those emotions when they come up, you know, um, as opposed to just allowing them to come up and, and inappropriately expressing them, which is oftentimes what a lot of guys will do is something will bubble up to the surface. They won't really know what the fuck to do with it. And so they'll, it'll, spill over and they'll yell at someone in traffic for example or they'll do that or they'll turn to violence and they'll hit something or someone um so yeah that's that so i agree 100 agree with you man and i think the reverse is also true as well if we think about that that um that principle um 
with regards to your own, I guess your own practices, man, and, and maybe what it is that you teach as well, how have you navigated tapping into your emotions and actually like becoming more aware of them? I know you said it's, it's important and it's hard to do and we haven't been conditioned to do it, but what have you personally found that helped you to tap into those emotions? Hmm. You know, there's um, a great, I'm not sure if it's Swahili or not. It's from, from Africa, a quote, which is, knowledge is just rumor and, until it's stored in the muscle. And I really like this because it's so easy to talk about these things um, on a conceptual level um, and necessary too, actually. But for me, I find going into my body for it is what really helps. So taking moments of breath, meditation is just a life giver in this realm. There's meditations of many different types, but even just one where like, you sit and I notice where in my body I feel what. And then like most, if you're in, in these big eyes or anything like I am, if I'm, it's a feeling-based emotion, I'll be like, hmm, there's that thing. What is that thing? <laughs> you know, what is that thing? And then I explore what that thing is. Or another one, you know, a beautiful one for if you experience, if you've got something genuine to grieve over that you can't, is to give yourself a container to grieve so let's say you've lost someone you love or just your job or whatever it is, like something genuinely sad and you create a space that feels okay for you and you put a yoga mat out or something on the floor and you put on a timer for 20 minutes and just for 20 minutes, you allow yourself to feel whatever that thing is. Could look it could look like anything, anything from sitting there, not knowing what to feel to full out bawling and crying, right? It doesn't, doesn't really matter. So I think for me coming back for the body time and time again and finding uh, a, a structured container, if it's hard for me to express, to use that to express. Yeah, I like that, man. And like if I turn that question on myself, something that like, I don't know if you've noticed in like the work that you do um, with Jan and your UFC, but something that I have noticed for me is like physical exertion to the point of fatigue, like brings emotion out for me. Like if I, if I like do something like physically and I like, I'm just fucked at the end of it, I'll notice that like at the end of that physical exertion is grief or is anger, or is sadness, or there's something there. And I don't know why, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, if I just like exert all my physical energy, I guess like maybe there's like this, it's like a protective armor, like a layer that I'm stripping away by just doing something physical. And I used to box as well. And I I know actually I'm putting two and two together. I I know Jan actually, Um, yes, I do. And I want to speak to you about that a bit later on. Um, But um, so I know Jan boxes. and so I and so I, I used to box as well. And, and something that I noticed when I was boxing, um, not competitively, but but training and sparring was at the end of a boxing class, I'd be like very raw and very open. And um, and I've noticed that playing soccer as well. I've noticed that I used to row as well. And you used to, uh, at the end of regattas, I was doing the same thing. I, at the very, I was very emotional at the end of like a really hard physical, laborious kind of activity. I was wondering, do you notice that at all in, with the men that you work with in that kind of um, UFC space? Well, 100%. And, and outside of that, I notice it in myself too. Like for me, it's the images when there's something that I know I need to feel, but I'm not feeling it. It's like I'm pushing a beach ball down underwater. And the more you push it down, actually, the more energy it takes to keep there, right? And you may not be, mostly you won't be doing it consciously. So I think the something super physical you just have less energy to keep holding this beach ball down. This is why, like, for the longest time, the only time that I ever really felt emotionally sad, like cry, was when I used to drink a lot and I'd be really hungover. Or flying, you know, when you're out of your time zone, it's 2 or 3 a.m. and you're by yourself. Like, there'll be a time that I'd be like, why am I, why am I crying over this cheesy rom-com movie that I'm watching in the back of whatever it is, you know? And I think it's the same thing. I think there's a real gift to physical exhaustion or tiredness is that uh, usual barriers to defending and hiding that thing like they got a little a little thinner yeah and dude that beach ball under the water analogy is f- so fucking on point and i appreciate that 
because I'm going to take that and run with it because um, it's so so fucking on point. Um, uh, uh, what well, I'm curious about, um, I, I, I know we haven't really spoken about this and we've, we've probably only got a, a few minutes left to kind of dive into it, but with regards to um, like, with regards to, I mean, you mentioned fighting, right? And and fighting for as opposed to against. And um, and I love that idea, man. I love that reframe. And I was wondering, like, how do you go about that? How do you go about, you know, kind of competing against someone versus, like, fighting alongside them or, or with them? Yeah, it's a great question, man. Look, for the, for, the, for the Fight Club, we have two rules. The first rule of Fight Club is that you can talk about Fight Club. <laughs> Second rule of Fight Club is that you're here to fight for your brother, not against him, which is the one that you're pointing to. So we're not a fight gym. Our actual aim is not to, to teach you how to box, though we use boxing as the tool. We use reflection work. We use movement. We use boxing to step into fear and courageousness, step away from fear and into courageousness, sorry. So when it comes to um, how to structure it so you're fighting for your brother, it's a reframe of the natural competitive energy that men have which is so beautiful. Like there's nothing more alivening I've found for my spirit than to have healthy competition against another man, whatever that is, physical competition usually. It could be boxing, it could be rowing. Like there's just something, uh, the, there's even a word for it, lacoma in the African tradition of like that, that feeling of vitality that comes from healthy competition that's really at the soul of all men. That can get really perverted. Um, into wanting to dominate into when it can get particularly perverted in fight gyms, more so boxing, kickboxing than something like jujitsu. And there's reasons for that we don't need to go into, but that's what I've noticed. So it's like, how do you countermand that? Well, first of all, you tell them, right? Guys, you're here to fight for the man and not the other. And then you put them in scenarios and situations where the first time they spar, and it might be the first time some of these guys have ever strapped on gloves and put it in the mouth guard. Here's the only rule. If you hit someone harder than the softest punch you've ever thrown, the game is over. <laughs> so you're putting reverse competition or you frame it in such a way that actually when you're boxing, you're going to want to think about yourself, your own fear and what's going on, but actually put all your awareness on the other man. And as you're putting your awareness on him, can you fight with him in such a way that you never push him past his full-on fear reaction where you can keep him just at the edge where he's excited and there's a little bit of nerves and it's fun, but never to where he tightens up. And that's my responsibility, not his, is to keep him there. Yeah, beautiful, man. And I'm, well, I guess that point is different for each man, right? Yeah, totally. And their experience, their nature, their get up, everything, different for everyone. Mm, yeah, that's super fascinating, man. And I'm like, how does that play out then if you've got one, like if we're taking obviously responsibility for each other's point, right? That point of no return, I suppose, right? Of going into that fear space. Um, if that's different for each man and one's is more, like he can take more, I suppose, or get pushed further, but the other man can't. Like, cause we, we essentially like what I'm getting at here is like, and maybe this is uh wrong or incorrect but i feel like we can only push someone so far as we can take ourselves right we have the capacity to kind of hold that for them so if this guy can can his his point is kind of further down the road than my own is i'm not gonna well my projection here is like i don't think i'm going to be able to get him to that point to to hold him at that edge because i haven't gone there i can't get there myself is that does that make sense? And is that fair to say? Sure, totally. And then it's it's on the man with the, the greater experience and the greater capacity to hold that energy to manage for the other guy. Yeah. yeah. And then you switch partners and you've got someone totally new. Right, right. So there's always like the opportunity to explore that with someone who's maybe a little bit further along than you are or at a similar space. Yeah. And if they can't find someone, I just put them in there with Jan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And he's been boxing for 16 years. So usually he can help people find that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From what I know of Jan, yeah, I don't doubt it. That's beautiful, man. Well, I'm, I'm just mindful of time, dude. And, and, um, yeah, it's got a lot of love for you, dude. Thanks for for opening up and and sharing your wisdom and your magic and um, just being willing to do it as well, man. I'm I'm yeah, very grateful. 
Same with you, brother. I so enjoyed the chats. It feels like the time is flowing by and that's always a great sign for me. <laughs> so, so thanks for inviting me in and thanks for all of those listening that to still be listening now. It's amazing. Thank you. No worries, man. No worries. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.